Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, wherever you are. Good morning, everybody. Good evening. Good afternoon. This is Beyond the Gate Radio, and welcome to our spiritual and paranormal show where we think outside the box. This is our March 8, 2018 edition of Beyond the Gate Radio. I'm your host, David, and the co-host, as usual, is Sherelle. Today, we have a fascinating and repeat guest, Garnet Schulhauser. Sorry, not good with names. He's the, uh, the author of four books. And let me tell you a little bit about Garnet. He's a retired lawyer who lives near Victoria on Vancouver Island with his wife, Kathy. After practicing corporate law for over 30 years in Calgary with two blue-chip law firms, he retired in 2008, and his first book, Dancing on the Stamp, was published in 2012. Since the release of his first book, Garnet has been active with book signing tours and speaking engagements and has been interviewed on over 130 and even now more, of course, talk shows broadcast from studios in the U.S., Canada, United Kingdom, Ireland, and Australia. His first book, Dancing on the Stamp, Garnet recounts how his life changed dramatically one day when he was confronted on the street by a homeless man named Albert was actually a wise spirit guys in disguise spirit uh, in disguise the seemingly chance encounter launched a provocative dialogue with Albert who disclosed startling new revelations about our true nature as eternal souls the cycle of reincarnation on earth and the afterlife that awaits us all his second book Dancing Forever with Spirit describes his text his next encounter with Albert who guided him on a series of astral adventures to visit the spirit side, the Akashic Records, distant planets with fascinating life forms and a human civilization that made the shift to a new earth. And his third book, Dance of Heavenly Bliss, continues the saga of his astral trips with Albert who took him to meet Gaia, the consciousness of Mother Earth, two of Earth's mythical creatures, a Sasquatch and an Irish fairy, a human civilization on another planet that is ruled by woman, and many fascinating souls on the spirit side who regaled him with tales of their lives on Earth, including Moses, Jesus, and his Mother Mary, Lucifer, and Goddess Athena which is all very compelling. Dance of Rapture, Eternal Rapture, is the fourth book in the uh, tetralogy of author's dialogue and astral adventures with a spirit guide that begin when he was confronted on the street by the homeless man, Albert, which started his uh, book writing journey and his spiritual journey. So in his fourth book, the author describes his most recent astral trips with Albert, who introduced him to some wise and famous souls in the spirit realm, including 
Muhammad, Buddha, Mary Magdalene, and Jesus, all of whom revealed startling new truths about their lives on earth. As well, he was honored to hear words of wisdom from two famous archangels, Ariel and Michael, and to meet Aphrodite, the goddess of love, who had earned much respect on earth for her sage advice on love and sex. On another excursion to the spirit realm, he was thrilled to meet two of his favorite entertainers, Elvis Presley and Robin Williams, who enthralled him with their heartfelt tales of drug abuse and despondency that led to their tragic deaths, after which Albert introduced him to Leonardo da Vinci, who revealed the secrets behind his Mona Lisa and the Last Supper paintings. On the earth plane, the author met with Gaia, the consciousness of Mother Earth, who reiterated her warning that humans must stop polluting our planet and abusing her beloved creatures or things would end very badly for our civilization. And he was enchanted by another of uh, Gaia's mythical creatures, a beautiful mermaid who was sensitive, intelligent, and very adept at avoiding detection by humans. Elsewhere in the galaxy, he, he uh, encountered an advanced human civilization that eradicated all diseases and negative emotions through genetic engineering, which allowed its citizens to live in a peaceful harmony free from violence and crime. And one of his most fascinating adventures involved a journey to Earth in a parallel universe where the American Civil War never happened because Europe had abolished slavery before the colonization of America. And the world trade towers in New York were still standing because Islam did not exist as a religion due to the tragic death of Muhammad at an early age. That is all so very fascinating and compelling information. So without further ado, welcome to Beyond the Gate, Garnet. How are you doing today, sir? I'm good, David. How about you? And thank you for having me. Our pleasure. We always enjoy having you on, and this is not the first time. So if, if I may, uh, you know, I'm a psychic medium, and everybody has different gifts to be a musician, you know, an attorney, uh, somebody that can make great arts and do wonderful things like Leonardo da Vinci, of course. So we all have different gifts, but I think there's something that's kind of, I would say, that's innate in us, and that's like a sixth sense. Uh, I'm, I'm a medium, but also psychic, so I, I trust my intuition. I think we all have some type of intuition uh, at different levels, like some people... It's dormant or seldom used, or some people don't trust it that much. And I know some people that aren't sure what it is, but they, they trust it, and it really helps them out. May I ask that early in your life, as a youth, did you ever experience any what we call metaphysical things or have any experiences with spirits or any psychic intuition that you that got your attention or any time through your professional life did you ever use intuition can you tell me a little bit about that uh, you know david i never did have about... any uh, any psychic experiences or any 
any occasions in my youth where it was I sort of recognized that there was a uh, intuition that was uh, uh, coming to guide me. Um, you know, maybe some of those things happened. I don't remember them, um, but but I, I didn't really. Uh, and I'm sure during my career, um, like everyone else, we all get these these uh, intuitive messages, these flashes of intuition. And I'm sure that I had some. Nothing sticks out in my mind, but I'm sure that I was. I, I often probably acted on them. And of course, Albert tells me that, uh, as you and you probably agree with this, David, is that uh, most of the int- intuitive messages, the flashes of intuition, those are messages coming from our spirit guides, and they're directed to us. Hopefully, that we can understand them, hear them, and act on them. Um, and all too often, we just ignore them, or we don't know what, what they are or where they're coming from. So, uh, until I met Albert, I'm sure I had a lot of these messages. I don't recall anything specific where I really acted on it, but I'm sure that I was. Uh, I've been guided all through my life. Well, it wasn't until I met Albert that I really realized that, um, you know, that these uh, intuitive messages really are coming from the, the spirit realm, coming from your guides, and are trying to steer people in the in the right direction, which is the direction they had planned for themselves before they incarnated. And so, um, no, there's nothing sort of nothing notable before I met Albert, um, and then all of a sudden it all came together in a rush when Albert uh, jumped into my life. Yes, sometimes we receive subtle messages like you're at Starbucks and you're looking at that muffin with cheese dripping out of it and meat and you know that, you know, well, I don't need that. And you start to reach for it and then suddenly you decide for some reason, nah, I don't need that. That could be a subtle way, <laughs> but I guess it comes out more in a noticeable way like you have experienced later in life. Like I guess it's what we call late bloomers that you've meant to take the journey that you actually have taken before you met Albert was necessary before certain things were revealed to you. Otherwise, if it happened sooner, you probably never would have written these books and had these amazing journeys. That, that's my feel, feeling on it. What do you think? Do you think it came at, at the right time in your life? Oh, absolutely. I, I think that... Um I really needed to have my my law practice of the, the 34 years, whatever it was, practicing law, to set up the foundation for my next stage of life, which is sort of uh, post Albert and writing books and spreading his message. So I think that was all a very necessary preliminary um, planning, uh, you know, in, in terms of my life, even though I wasn't aware of it. And <clears throat> excuse me, and I think that he, uh, Albert absolutely came at the right time, and he told me beforehand that he and I had planned. Um, sort of his meeting with me before I was born. It was sort of part of my life plan. I don't remember that, of course. Nobody remembers their life plan, but it was all uh, planned beforehand. And it was really, it, it, like in, in Albert's view, it wouldn't have, uh, wouldn't have done any good if he had come to me when I was 25 or 35 or even 45. I had to be at the right time. So he did come at the right time, and I was really ready for ready for a change and ready for ready to hear his message, you know, it was like the, the, the Buddhists say, when the student is ready to learn, a teacher will appear. Well, Albert appeared at the right time. So you must have been sitting down one day, and, uh, you know, sometimes when you sit down, your mind just relaxes and starts to wander, and it opens up to certain things. And you notice this person, and dialogue started, and everything changed from there. That's amazing. You just never know. When something's going to happen, it's usually always unexpected and not planned for. Does that sound logical to you? you no, know, absolutely. Yeah, it, certainly my meeting with Albert in terms of my, my life here was not planned for. It was a total surprise. Um, you know, even though I had 
I had planned it with Albert before I was born, but of course we all forget that. We forget where we came from and what we had planned for our life. So in terms of this life, totally unexpected. I had no preliminary warning, nothing to ever indicate to me that something as uh, dramatic as that was going to happen to me. And so, it, and, and, and so I was startled. It was really quite a, just came out of the blue, this homeless man who's, um, who, who sort of stopped me in my tracks, uh, sent me this amazing wave of unconditional love. Um, and then uh, once I, started, I sat down and started talking with him, I realized that he was truly an amazing, very wise, compassionate, loving soul. And I, when he said he's my spirit guide, and I, to me it was like I, I totally believed it because he was just a very special person. But there was nothing beforehand that ever prepped me for that, at least not that I'm aware of it, uh, to have this meeting. It just sort of came out of the blue. Well, that's amazing because uh, a lot of people would question something like that. Or, you know, maybe they're, they don't study things from the spiritual realm. You know, there's no fundamental training that they've had that they can glean from is just somebody who has never really thought about do much. And then something so fantastic happens to you that you said, you know what? There must be something to this. This just couldn't be. And I suppose that was enough to trigger you to look into it a little bit more. So after meeting this person, what did you do what was your next step in the journey before we get you know to your current book? Well, um, he, um, I mean, I, I just knew he was, as I said, he was a special person as soon as I met him, and then and then when he when I asked him questions, he just had the clarity and wisdom of his answers were just so compelling that it was just like, uh, you know, I had no doubt in my heart that what he's telling me was the truth. I mean, I just it, it just resonated with me, and so. We had this conversation initially. The first part of, of our relationship was a dialogue, and I'd ask him questions he would answer. And then he told me, um, after we had been speaking for a while, that, that he wanted me to write a book about what he told me because he wanted them to be available to everyone else on the planet. And I was a bit taken aback by that because I had never even dreamed of writing a book. But anyway, he, 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 he was gently persuasive over a period of months, and finally I agreed and said, okay, I'll write the book which I did, which, which led to the manuscript for my first book, Dancing on a Stamp. Um, and, uh, but even after I had written it, David, I was still sort of like concerned about, well, should I really get this published or should I just throw it in the drawer and lock, lock the door and, and never let it see the, the light of day again? Um, but after I, a while, I just realized I had to do it. I had to publish it. And uh, recognizing that a lot of my former partners and colleagues and clients would, would, uh, would sort of roll their eyes and uh, wonder if I was losing my mind, um, but I did it anyway, and so I've lost some of, some of those people, and I've gained a lot more new people who uh, are spiritually enlightened. So it's been a very rewarding uh, change for me. Um, and so, and my relationship with Albert was has been great. And, and after my first encounter, as you mentioned in the introduction, uh, he took me on a series of astral uh, trips uh, to the spirit side, where I talked with many famous wise souls who told me about their lives on Earth. Um, other places in the universe, other places in our planet where he could demonstrate to me sort of the, the abuse that humans were heaping on other animals in our planet and on Mother Earth herself. Um, it was all sort of a learning tool for me, and everything that I saw, I, I, I put into one of my books. And so I'm now 
as you mentioned, I now have written four books. The first one was my dialogue. The last three were about my astral travels with him, and uh, and, and, and it was all very well planned out by Albert. He would never tell me where I was going or what he was going to show me next, so it was always a surprise. But he had a very uh, he had a very uh, set out agenda. He wasn't just, it wasn't just random trips. He wanted me to see certain people, see certain places, so that I could write about them. And he hoped that when people read my books, that there there would there would be some sort of a an enlightenment, and that they would uh, be able to move up the spiritual spiritual ladder and raise their vibrations. That was his whole goal. I, I totally believe in that. That's fascinating. And as in friends and books in your life, you know, I believe in that old saying, when one door closes, another one opens. And this time it was a big door. So Absolutely. on the astral travel, you know, it's, I think there's a reason why it wasn't revealed to you what you were going to do tonight. Like, where are we going out to dinner tonight? What movie are you going to see? Who are you going to meet? Because I feel that maybe it was kept from you until the moment of the meeting, because as human beings, we have expectations, and it might ruin the experience. And so if you're surprised and you see it, it is what it is. I totally believe that. And you mentioned, yeah, I, in, you know, like Dance of Heavenly Bliss, that you met different spirits like Moses, Jesus, Mother Mary, Lucifer, uh, and the goddess Athena and so forth. So if you don't mind me asking before I go into your current book, what was it like? Did you have positive experiences with the aforementioned names that I just said? Like Mary absolutely. Lucifer and... Yeah, absolutely. All positive. And, and, and a lot of people sort of question when they see Lucifer in there because they equate Lucifer with the devil, with Satan. And, and it's actually totally the opposite. And that's one of the reasons why uh, Albert took me to see Lucifer, just to demonstrate to me that this this soul... Who, who is a very uh, benevolent angel, very a very good, uh, very good spirit, uh, who had been badly maligned over the ages by people who had, as I said, equated him with being the devil or the prince of darkness. And he and it was a, he was totally the opposite. He was a very, very loving, kind, compassionate soul who, who actually, contrary to what uh, some people had said, he's he, he wasn't sort of the he wasn't the, uh, the the personification of evil on earth. He was actually a good guy who tried his best to prevent evil. So he was he was sort of like 180 degrees from what a lot of the people have already de- determined in their minds that he was. So that that was why uh, Albert took me to see Lucifer to show me that well, hold it, you, you, a lot of humans just have the total wrong picture of this guy. But all the other souls, very positive experience, David. They were all really wise, compassionate, loving souls who who, uh, who for the most part, uh, most of them were masters who had incarnated on Earth, um, walked the Earth. Uh, for the sole purpose of helping humans um, become more spiritually enlightened and overcome their propensity for violence and and uh, and, and uh, crime and so on, and, and so they all had a very set purpose. They incarnated specifically to help humanity, and now they're back on the spirit side where they're sort of uh, watching what's going on. And, and and but they're still very very wise and compassionate souls, and and I expect at some point some of them may walk the earth again. But it was all a very positive experience for me. Oh, that's good. That's really wonderful. I've had in my, you know, mediumship encounters or readings or astral travels, which either was initiated or uninitiated, you know, astral travels. Uh, I don't believe I've had any bad experiences either. Maybe dreams, if I need, if I'm, you know, 
need to learn a lesson or if I'm stressing on something, but the actual contact or whatever you want to call it, encounters have always, for me, been positive as well. And can you tell us a little bit about your new book, Dance of Eternal Rapture? Is there some experiences you'd like to talk to us about or anything at all? Yeah, I mean, it's it was, again, another uh, sort of like a guided tour for my spirit guide. And uh, there was a number of things that were very notable. I mean, w- one of the things that really stuck out in my mind was um, in terms of, of, of uh, famous souls on the spirit side, I had a meeting with Muhammad. Muhammad, of course, was the, the founder, the originator of Islam. And uh, so it was very fascinating. He, he, uh, he, he was a very kind, compassionate, wise soul. Um, and I had a, this very frank discussion with him. And I said, you know, you, you originated Islam way back when. Um, and uh, and, and it's, it's now sort of a, a very large, probably the second largest religion on the planet. And there's, there's a lot of people adhere to it. Um, and there's a lot of people, extremists in that religion, who have caused a lot of uh, abuse and conflict and wars and violence. And I said, what do you think about what's going on? And he said, well, his religion has done a lot of good things, he says, uh, and, he, and he's proud of the good things that he, it has accomplished. But he was very dismayed at two points, uh, two things that sort of happened with his religion. The first one was that he was very upset at the, at the, at the, the men who had used um, Islam as a justification for the abuse and subjugation of women. And he said it was never his intention to have, have anything in his religion, anything that he taught, um, or any, any of the messages he got from Gabriel. Uh, it was never intended in any way to be used as an excuse to, uh, to degrade women. And he just thinks that, that that's nonsense, that women should be treated equally like men. They shouldn't be compelled to wear headscarves or face cover their whole face or cover their whole body. Um, and, uh, you know, in, in, in some of the countries, as you know, David, they, the, the, the women can't go out in public unless accompanied by their husband or a male relative. Uh, in some countries, like Saudi Arabia, until recently they couldn't even drive a car. A lot of the countries, the girls uh, aren't allowed to have an education or get a job. And he just says that's absolutely deplorable, not what he intended, not what his religion was all about, and he wished that somehow um, somebody could do something about it. But, but he was very upset about that. The other part that he was very upset about was that the, some of the extremists, some of the people uh, that we know, the terrorists and so on, who, who, uh, who are using um, Islam um, and the religion as an excuse to inflict violence and terror on other people and innocent people in other countries, you know, the, the, uh, the, the ISIL people who, uh, uh, who, who caused a lot of uh, uh, you know, wars and, and destruction in, the, in Syria and Iraq, I mean, they were masquerading as being people who were who were sort of uh, trying to. Uh, they were as religious jihadists that they were that they were relig- religious people trying to make the world better through religion. And he just says, well, using uh, religion as an excuse for violence is just wrong. And and he was so, and so he's very upset about that. And, and and he just said, you know, he never intended anyone to use violence to convert other people or to strike down people who did not adhere to that religion. And, and so it was very interesting. He was very candid. He said, you know, those two points really upset me, but the rest of my religion I feel very good about. And so it was a bit of an eye-opener for me. I bet. And, you know, I have nothing against religions or anybody's belief system or an atheist or whatever. Nothing against that. I'm open to everything. I don't judge anybody. I'm a happy guy. I don't judge anybody. But I just have to tell you that, you know, perhaps... Some people in power 
want to alter things in a religion and make it swing in their favor so they could have more power over the people so they change religion in certain ways. And I'm thinking that, uh, again, have nothing against religion, but I, it reminds me of a cartoon I saw. There's a little uh, UFO or flying saucer. These two aliens in there are flying toward the Earth. And you can see mushroom clouds coming up all around the Earth. And one says, hey, Orc, what, what's going on down there? And then Orc says, oh, they're just, all the religions are trying to prove which one's the most peaceful. <laughs> if you get my <laughs> meaning. <laughs> oh, I, I, I so love that. So sometimes you've got to look at the, at the funny side. You know what I mean? But, uh, you know, I don't yeah, But your take on, the, on religions is, is, is quite accurate, David, because, I mean, it's not just the uh, Islam. It's, I mean, the, the, the Christian church has done things like that in the past. Um, you know, you know, a lot of organized religions do those things because, as you say very correctly, it's because they're run by men who are using religion to uh, as a way to control people and uh, for power and control, and that's why. And men are men, and men have uh, their own agendas, and they let uh, their negative emotions sort of rule their lives off too often, like you know, uh, greed and uh, lust for power. And that's really the, one of the big problems with organized religion. So I mean, you you hit the nail on the head. That's exactly. Uh, what what happens with most most religions? In a, in a way, I can't blame them. In some cases where they needed to keep civilization under control so there's not chaos. But then, as we come to modern times, then you know need to ease up and maybe change some things from modern times. But that's that's another story. Anyway, so that's very interesting insight you gave on speak to Muhammad and. Um, then what? <laughs> well, there was a number of, uh, you know, on this show, I can only t- highlight some of the things because there's a lot of things in the book that I'll never get to. But one of the interesting things is that, uh, <laughs> is that, uh, you know, it was mentioned in the synopsis, um, in, in some of my earlier trips, um, I had, uh, Albert had to- taken me to, to, he basically said, look at, you know, I was surprised when I had my conversation with Gaia. I was surprised that our planet, Mother Earth, uh, had a consciousness uh, and, and, and uh, you know, had feelings and emotions, and it, so that surprised me. And when I finished the meeting with Gaia, um, Albert said, uh, "You know, that's just one of the things that you're not aware of. That Gaia has many things up her sleeve that you're not aware of, or that it hasn't been proven, or it's not open knowledge." And, and back in there, he, he showed, he took me to meet a, a Sasquatch and an Irish fairy, both sort of fabled mis- mythical creatures that. Uh, some people believe exist, and most people just say it's just a, a you know a fairy tale. But I actually met those, and then I had another encounter. He showed me one more of of Gaia's mythical creatures, uh, you know, a mermaid. And so this was really quite amazing because this was this was a you know the, the, there's been legends about mermaids over the ages that the, the you know they sort of have, you know the top part is uh, is is human, and the bottom part is fish, uh, and we've seen all kinds of pictures of them. Uh, most people scoff at it, but I actually met one. And she was a very, uh, very loving, compassionate um, mermaid called, her name was Lyra. And she told me that, and Albert had arranged this meeting, and she told me that, yeah, they are for real, and they've been around for eons, and, they, and they've managed to escape uh, d- detection by humans for the most part. Occasionally they're sighted, but, but for the most part, the, 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 nobody's been able to capture them or take a photo of them or actually, you know, and, uh, you know, grab onto them and say, look, to the world, here's a mermaid because they're very, they're very clever. They can they can basically stay underwater for about two hours. They can swim in incredibly fast speeds, and they can actually uh, hear the 
thoughts of humans, uh, those around them. So by by knowing sort of what humans are up to and where they're going and and how they're coming for them, they can easily escape detection. And, and 70% of our planet is is oceans. So there's a big playground for them, lots of places to hide, um, and, uh, and and so they've been able to escape detection. And they are sort of a, a, a race that's very um, uh, close to nature. Uh, they don't have any technology. They don't need it. Uh, they're very very close to Gaia, um, and, and they're and they're a bit dismayed at all the abuse that humans have been heaping on Mother Earth with our pollution and how we abuse other animals and. Uh, they would really like to uh, live freely among humans, but they're just afraid that if they, they show up one day and say, hi, here we are, that they'll be captured and put into a, uh, um, you know, a circus sideshow or into a lab and poked and prodded forever. So they don't want that, but um, they, they, they just, they've been around, and they, and, and they communicate with each other by telepathy. They're, they're, uh, they're, they're very, uh, very wise and, uh, and, and, and very empathetic. They understand... Uh, the feelings of other creatures, and uh, and they have nothing against humans. They just don't want to be around us while we're still violent and abusive. And so there it was. She's you know living, uh, breathing uh, example of a of a of fabled creature that actually does exist. So that was quite fascinating. And and I really and I really uh, it sort of opened up my heart when she said, you know, um, uh, we, we were created uh, eons ago by some ETs who who mutated a a human or crossed human genes with a now extinct fish. And so they really are mammals. They, they uh, suckle their young with milk, um, and they're just like humans from the waist up, but, but from the bottom down they were uh, you know, the, just like a fishtail. Uh, really very fascinating. And so, so people who, you know, uh, these legends just don't pop out of nowhere. And there, there's been legends and stories about mermaids for hundreds of years. And you know the old saying, David, when there's smoke, there's usually some fire somewhere. And so I did indeed find out. I believe that. And, you know, they've been reported widely throughout the ages in different geographical locations around this planet. Additionally, Sasquatch, uh, why hasn't anybody caught one? You know, some people think they're interdimensional or whatever, but they're very loose as, as well. And other, uh, under the cryptozoology field, is what they call it, these other unusual creatures... Now, in ancient Egypt, uh, in some of the pyramids, they have half-dog, half-bird, half-human, half-whatever animal. And some people, researchers, have proposed that these beings actually did exist. You know, they wouldn't put cartoons up in the, in the pyramids and the, the palaces and temples and so forth. You know, it, it took... It, it's, when people look up to the pharaoh, when you see stuff there, you don't want to see any garbage or cartoons. You know, very respectful, very important, very expensive. They wouldn't just put that up there. There was a bunch of hoo-ha. You know, not somebody capable of doing what they did. So there and in Sumerian, Texas, and uh, other places have been discovered strange things as well. So... This has been going on for eons, so there must be definitely some truth to that. And you're right, you know, some creatures are just like fairies, are very elusive, yet they exist. Now, you mentioned mm -hmm. about E.T. Can I ask you a question? Do you know anything about uh, Roswell or 
Roswell? Yeah, you mean the, the Roswell 1947? Yeah, that, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah, I did, and actually, I, I uh, sort of what happened in the uh, Albert took me to the Akashic Records, and I saw what happened in Roswell 1947, that very famous incident where Flying Saucer, according to many witnesses, crashed in the desert, uh, and then uh, the, yes. the, the saucer was hauled away, and, and it was denied by by the government and, uh, and and military officials. Yeah, I did see that on the Akashic records, and yes, it was. It was a it was a little uh, ET scout ship that that for whatever reasons a malfunction crashed into one of the high uh, altitude weather balloons that was being used by the military. Crashed into that, which then knocked out other systems and ended up crashing on in the desert floor. And, and there were three little aliens inside. Uh, two of them were dead. One was still alive, and they, the, the saucer and the and all the aliens were hauled away to the Roswell Army Air Base. Um, and the uh, doctors there tried to save the one little alien that was still alive, but that, you know after working hard for several days, it just died. And so the the saucer and the aliens, the aliens were put into preservatives. The saucer and these aliens uh, first went off to uh, um, Andrews Air Force Base and eventually ended up in Area 51. So I did see what exactly happened, and and. Excuse me, and it certainly was a, an alien, alien craft. And Albert has showed me and, and a number of these uh, these crafts, and he's told me that we've been visited by um, advanced alien uh, races for eons, like right from day one on Earth. And they've been visiting us. They're all benevolent. They're all trying to help us, help humans. Um, and, uh, and 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 for the most part, they're you know the many different races are just watching what's going on. And there was a market. Uh, increase in the number of of, of of those races who visited Earth after we split the, the A-bomb in World War II, because that was sort of a big sort of a red flag, a trigger point. It's like, oh, oh, these uh, these barbaric humans have now learned to split the atom, and so we better get in there and see what's going on and, and try to make sure that they don't destroy themselves or travel to other planets and destroy whoever they see there. So, yeah, we've been watched for a long time. I would certainly think that if we were the superior race in at least this galaxy, let's say, for example, and we found Stone Age people living on another planet, wouldn't you want to learn scientifically to watch them progress? And then wouldn't you be worried if they did have the A-bomb? Of course, that makes total sense. You know, like I said, yep. they're all, you know, benevolent beings and they don't want the malevolent earthlings to go up and we've already polluted our oceans you know as a byproduct of growing humanity and dumping stuff now do it in space Uh uh-uh so i think these experiences that individuals have that publish books about it is trying to make people aware that we need to make a change before it's too late that's just uh it in a nutshell i suppose but also we yeah, can, that, we're learning and growing and spiritually progressing, just like you said, right? Yeah, no, exactly. And that message um, that you just said was uh, was really hit home to me by Gaia when I had the conversation. She said, you know, uh, until you know, humans used to not really cause much of a problem in terms of pollution and upsetting the uh, you know the climate and so on uh, until the industrial revolution. Then we we we, we had the ability then to increase our pollution exponentially you know with with uh, you know with the advent of the industrial revolution and you know the oil and gas drilling and the burning of coal and the, all the other stuff and and she says you know we, we, since then we've become like an invasive weed that's sort of taking over the whole garden 
and, and she's very protective of her all of her uh, animals and her plants and, and you know and, and her her atmosphere and her environment and she's very upset about what humans are doing you know like we are horrible pollution you know the the oceans the rivers the air the soil um, we, we have been polluting it in, in, in great amounts, and, and we're getting a little better at sort of curtailing it, but we still do way too much of it. And she's saying, you know, we have to change our ways or it's going to end very badly for us. The planet Earth is our home. If we continue on the current path, we're going to end up destroying our home and destroying all life on it. And, and she really doesn't want that to happen. And, and nor do the ETs. They're, they're trying to do their best to make sure that doesn't happen to humanity on this planet, but um, we really have to change our ways or it could end badly. Yeah, you know, uh, many people believe the wealthy elite don't want clean, free energy. They can charge you for gas and oil and stay in power, run the world to banks and all that. So they buy patents to somebody that invents anti-gravity, clean energy, whatever, buy it out and say bye, and then lock it away. And Because they say, well, if we use clean energy, how do you charge for it? You know, I'm thinking about... If it's free energy, you know, and you want to make some money, just charge for it for free energy. I don't know. That's better than, you know, what's polluting our atmosphere, our oceans, and our earth. Is You know, I mean, I don't know. So people have to work together and keep fighting like Tesla, you know, to bring this cleaner energy out. And I'm thinking that Tesla is showing an example, perhaps, where he can make money off of cleaning, uh, clean automobiles. And maybe if somebody was to get another idea, then we can get off of fossil fuels one of these days that we're addicted to. I don't know, but I'm, I'm certainly hoping that things get better, not worse. Yeah, I think, and I certainly hope that as well. And um, there's a lot of people pulling for us to try to get us down that road. And I think we are getting a little better at it, but we need to step up the pace and we have to make sure that we continue on and uh, and, and make sure everyone's aware of, that w- of what we have to do. And it, w- it was interesting that you know people, uh, you know a lot of people are, are talking about climate change. Um, you know, and it seems like over the last ten years that the number of the number and intensity of natural disasters like you know uh, droughts and floods and hurricanes and tornadoes and volcanoes and earthquakes and so on. They, they seem to be picking up and getting worse, at least, at, at least to, to my perception. And, and what I found out was that, that, that when I talked to Gaia, she basically said, yes, um, I've, I've had, I have the ability to, 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 to manipulate those events to some degree. And she says, I've been trying to pick up the pace recently because I want humans to wake up. And she said, I'm trying to fire a warning shot across your bow to make you aware that if you don't change your ways and 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 uh, quit the pollution and the abuse of the animals, that uh, that 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 these things are going to continue to increase. And so, people, some people say it's climate change. I know now, after talking to Gaia, that it's actually Gaia who's manipulating these events, uh, making them harsher and more intense, so that uh, we will wake up and realize which path we have to take. So, well, you know, apparently it's it, working because there's debates on both sides. Yeah, no, that's right. Yeah. And anyway, another uh, uh, another interesting thing that uh, described in my book, which is just sort of uh, uh, in, in a way, it's kind of enlightening, is that um, uh, I found out uh, it, on one of my travels just after I had uh, had met with this mermaid, uh, David, that Albert told me that way back when Earth actually had two moons. We had another moon which was bigger than our current moon, the one we see all the time, and it actually had 
uh, an atmosphere. And actually, he was home to a number of animals, and and it was it was bigger. And he said back then it would have been, it was quite amazing when you saw the two moons in the sky at the same time. And I said, well, what happened to the other moon? He said, well, it was a freak cosmic accident. Um, a comet went through the solar system, smashed into this other moon, basically broke it up, and most of the fragments ended up in the asteroid belt between Mars and Jupiter. But he said that some of the ETs, just before the comet hit, scooped up some of the animals on that planet and brought them to Earth. And they, they deposited these animals in Australia. And interesting enough, those Australias, uh, those animals were like uh, emus and marsupials and you know, like kangaroos, wallabies, koalas, and so on. Those animals are, for the most part, unique to and, and, and so they were deposited there, and I said, well, why Australia in particular? And he said, well, because Australia has Ayers Rock, or what they now call Uluru, you know, that great sandstone red thing in the, in, in the oh, northern yeah, desert. Oh, yeah, I'm familiar with that, yes. Yeah, Ayers Rock. <clears throat> Excuse me. And, and, and he said the reason they did that was because Ayers Rock, or Uluru, is, is a sort of a, a, a communications beacon for uh, Gaia, one of the many that she has. And, and so the, the, they felt that these animals would feel uh, at home and sort of uh, more welcome if they could be close to this uh, this, this communication beacon of uh, of Gaia. And she sends out, you know, vibrations through that rock to the surrounding area. And, and so those those animals then sort of uh, resonated with that uh, those vibrations, and they felt at home. And that's why they they chose uh, Australia for these animals. And so it's really quite amazing. And, and right to this day. A lot of those animals in Australia are still unique only to Australia. And so that was a very interesting story about how that all happened. That, that's very believable, very interesting. And to the uh, white people, I suppose, that came there, it's a very mythical, mystical place. But to the Aborigines, it's a very sacred place. And they wouldn't call a rock sacred for nothing. They... They have knowledge that spans way back before written history, and they know something of the space people. So that kind of ties in what you just said right there. It's really amazing. And then I want to go off a little bit in a different direction. Elvis mm-hmm. Presley, I've always been a fan. Robin Williams, too. In fact, I met Robin in person because he lived in a neighborhood, you know, kind of like a neighbor where Sherelle and I lived. And, you know, he passed passed away. Both of them did. Uh, I've heard, okay, some famous psychic, psychic twins we had on our show. Uh, previously, they had written a book about meeting celebrities, and they actually talked to them as well. And other people have too, so I don't want the audience to think that, now you're just making it up, because this is actually true. And uh, these are for some, from some very very credible people and what was said was proven out to be true so what kind of message did Elvis and Robin Williams have for you well Robin Williams uh, start off with him he he basically said that he where he is now back in the spirit side he he looked back in his life and says he regrets taking his own life um, but he, but he said at the time he, he felt he was trapped in a vicious cycle and they, there was no other escape, and, and, and he said money was an issue. He, 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 even though he had made a lot of money, his lifestyle and his, that of his family, they spent a lot of money, and he, he was sort of felt like he was being pushed into a position where, in order to survive financially, he'd have to do another Mrs. Doubtfire movie, which he didn't want to do, even though that movie was very popular and made a lot of money. 
and and so uh, so he was kind of depressed about all this. And then the last straw he said was when he was diagnosed with Parkinson's. So it was kind of like, oh no, you know that that that's it. I can't. I just can't do this anymore. So he committed suicide. And and his advice to everyone who's listening is that if you're chronically depressed, um, don't feel embarrassed about getting medical help or, or or getting help from your family and your friends. Like you need to get you need to seek help. And if you can seek help. Um, you may be able to avoid the, the tragedy that he had by committing suicide. So he really said, "There's a lot of people out there who are fighting with, uh, with silently fighting depression, like really drastic depression." And he says, "You know, go get help, medical help. Uh, you know, tell your family what's going on. They can help you, and don't go to the point where he did, where he committed suicide." So, very wise advice, I think. And in terms of Elvis, fairly similar story. Um, he. Uh, you know, he he, he regrets, uh, you know, uh, what happened in his life. I mean, he was he was addicted, you know, alcohol and drugs, uh, and and he really felt uh, sort of trapped again. He he felt that he uh, he had to keep on going to not disappoint his friends, his, his fans, uh, and so he didn't want to sort of retire. So he felt like he had to keep on going. But he at the end he just hated it, and he was just in a vicious downward cycle with all the drugs and uh, and alcohol and and he ended up in, in having a tragic death and he, he he basically says you know whatever situation you're in just like what robin williams said is that there's always a way out it's never hopeless there's always people who are willing to help you and you know once you sort of turn the corner and get past that you can get on with the next stage of your life so it was really two two guys who really had very tragic lives who are really hoping that other people hearing what they have to say won't fall into the same trap. So do you ever get any flack from people saying, well, if you commit suicide, you're going to hell and you can't possibly see him anymore or whatever. I mean, no, I mean, were they in a, a wonderful place? You know, yeah, they were on the spirit side. Obviously yeah, they they were, the spirit right? side where, where, yeah. Where everyone else goes. You see, there's no, there is no place else to go. There is no hell. You know, no matter how bad you you are on Earth, no matter whether you commit suicide or whatever, everyone goes back to the spirit side from where you came from, and there it's a, just an amazing, beautiful place, much like heaven that the religions describe, and they're they're just fine there. They they were in, in a place of pure, unconditional love. Uh, there's no pain, suffering, negative emotions, so it's a great place to be. Um, but when they look back at their earthly lives, they could see where they should have done things differently. And and people who say, well, if you commit suicide, you go to hell. That's nonsense. There is no hell, and everyone goes back to the spirit side, even if you commit suicide. So those are two examples of yep, they're back there. And uh, you know, when you have a when you finish your life, David, you have a life review, and you look back at, at the life you just finished, and that's just the purpose of, of looking at all the places where you went off course, the mistakes you made. Uh, you also can see the, all the good things you did. So you you just do a review and evaluation of the life you just finished, and then if you want to, you can plan another life, or if you don't want to. You can just stay on the spirit side, and uh, but but it's it, it's you know yeah. Right now, when I met them on the spirit side, it was just amazing. They were having a great time, it just like everyone else on the spirit side does. It, it's much. It's not like planet Earth. It's just uh, nothing but happiness and bliss and joy and, uh, and and a lot of very interesting challenges. So, as a medium from another perspective, I stopped counting my readings at three thousand, but. Uh, I've met all kinds of spirits. Every time I do a reading for somebody, I mean, you know, I've seen spirits that were earthbound, what people call ghosts, and communicated with them, photographed them, seen them with my naked eyes, and communicated, you know, 
uh, psychically, whatever. But the ones in the spirit world, as people call heaven, I've never spoken to any spirit in any reading. And some readings I've done has been like up to four hours. The longest readings really wears you out. But I have empirical proof because I get the same thing over and over again and bring evidence that people didn't reveal. There's no way you could know what I'm being told and tell them and they're shocked, you know. And so I'm bringing a family of people and then they're asking about their brother who committed suicide while that person comes in too. And they're up there. They're not in any flames. And I noticed that every time I'm talking to a spirit, for the most part, is that I see him standing on grass with beautiful trees. Uh, you know, like you're, you go to Yosemite and you want to take a, a selfie of yourself in the, in the middle in Yosemite uh, National Park because it's so beautiful. Or it's like you're standing there. Every time I do a reading after reading after reading after reading, they're always in a place of beauty. And they all have happy, have a sense of humor, whatever. So... Yeah, that's exactly you know, that's I, I exactly totally my experience. Your experience. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what my encounters on the spirit side is that they have just beautiful countryside, beautiful meadows, uh, lakes, trees, everything else. It's just amazingly beautiful. Everyone's happy, um, and it's just a wonderful place. And, and and you've obviously seen that yourself through your readings, and you get the same message. And so it's very, to me, it's very validating to hear you say that, David, because it it, it really confirms what I've seen. And I know a lot of other people have written about similar things. And so, you know, uh, it, it, it is true. It's absolutely, totally true. And uh, you're not making it up, and I'm not making it up. And uh, I hope people out there believe that this is really the case. Garnet, well, hi. Excuse me, guys. This is um, Sherelle. Hi, Garnet. Um, hi. Thank you for being here. Um, I, have a, I have a question also, though. Um, it, I... I hear what you're saying, and then I hear these different, um, I see these different shows. Like, what you're speaking of is just like the show Defending Your Life with um, that I, I watched. And some of the shows, they really, it's like, how do they know exactly what was going on? And it's making me believe that other people are having encounters or spiritual guides that are helping them in planning these movies and just the information that they get is so powerful. It's like um, Robin Williams did that one um, dreams that come dreams that may that come. He did this really powerful um, life and life after death show and talked about, you know, living and, you know, passing away and where he went. And then him and his wife decided to come back and do it again. It's just like, who are these, how there must be more guides out there that are pulling back the veil, so to speak, and letting people, I don't want to say just in the movie industry, to promote these movies that show things that I'm finding out to be the real way that they are. And I think that's right, Cheryl. I mean, I, and I have no doubt that the the the, the screenwriters who, who for these movies, you know, the directors, the producers, I have no doubt that they are getting messages from their guides 
about what things are really like. And so they're they're really when they're doing the screenplays, uh, you know, this isn't just coming out of thin air. It's it's coming from the spirit realm. Their guides are sending him messages about what it's like, and then they're they're developing their screenplays based on that. And and and. Uh, and that's why it's so. In a lot of those movies, and I, I watched that Robert Williams movie that you mentioned, and it was very, uh, you know, very close to the mark. Uh, and, and a lot of the other ones, that uh, the defending your life one, uh, w- was uh, a bit over dramatic in the sense that when, it was. when the person died, they instead of being a, a, a life review where. Uh, it's just a learning tool. It was like a court case where you had to sort of defend yeah. what you did on earth, and if you didn't, if you if you didn't pass that, you had to go back. So that was just a bit of a literary license there, because that that's not exactly what happens. But it was made for a good movie. I remember, uh, you know, quite enjoyed it, it. It did make for a good movie. It did, but it it kind of put that spin on it that you know this is how we as humans would do. We would turn it into a court case, you know, but. You know, um, but listening to you and finding out about the books and finding out about Albert, it's so, it, it, what it does is I think it's like when they were trying to explain to people, oh, you know, they don't want to shock you and to say, oh, yes, there's aliens, blah, 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 but they want to spoon feed you with just a little bit at a time. So by the time you actually encounter an alien or by the time you actually encounter your spirit guide, you're not so shocked that these things have been going on for years and you're just going to be, you're not going to be so um, desensitized to being, you know, you're not going to be scared that you see one. You'll be more inquisitive instead of, you know, frightened, instead of it being a scary event. So I do appreciate um, the research, and I do appreciate the information that makes it makes a big, big, uh, it's a big deal to me. Yeah, and I think you're right, uh, Sherelle, and, 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 and they are sort of laying the groundwork for, for example, the, the ETs. There's been more and more sightings, and there's more and more people who now believe in ETs, so that when they decide to actually be, make open and direct contact, like, hey, world, here we are, it, it won't scare the heck out of you know the masses that, that, that a lot of people will be just prepared for it. Um, and and in terms of spiritual enlightenment, uh, you know if, uh, you've probably noticed over the last 20 years there's been an increasing amount of uh, you know spiritual enlightenment, more books on spirituality on some of the topics that I've that, I, that I've written about and that you got you people talk about all the time. Um, you know, yes. way back when, 40 years ago, there was not any of this, and, and so it's, it's becoming it's coming more to the forefront. There's more messengers sending the message out there, and that's trying to prep humans to understand who they are and, and to have them sort of focus on what they need to accomplish to, to, to make our world a better place. I agree. Times have changed because back in the 70s, I called in a radio show to talk about uh, – UFOs, flying saucers, whatever, and they laughed me off the air. And you can't even talk about seeing ghosts and spirits. They laugh you off the air. And nowadays, there's a multitude of shows, you know, on on that subject now, and it, you know it's become incredible. So I just want to tell everybody, it's on the uh, bio on the show page. Uh, if you want to find out more information about Garnet and his books and everything, his uh, Facebook account. Twitter and YouTube and everything, just go to uh, GarnetShawhauser.com. His email is contact at GarnetShawhauser.com. 
Facebook. You can reach him by going to facebook.com forward slash dancing on the stamp or go to youtube.com slash forward slash user forward slash Garnet Schauhauser and twitter.com at G Schauhauser. So go on there and, and check it out. One one more thing I want to say before you know we finish this up and you need to say what you want to say is don't you think that to spiritually progress, to evolve, that that's the why would somebody leave a paradise and come here to this crappy place, which is also beautiful. Maybe it's because Earth is a school, and if you're sitting on heaven and floating on the cloud, you're not going anywhere, you're happy, and then you get like island fever, and I say, I want to do something, I'm tired of this. You don't realize how grateful you should be until you're sent to Earth. Now you're cold, you're hungry, you're in the body, you have to survive and learn. Don't you think that Earth is a school? Absolutely, this David, and, and according to Albert, it's one of the toughest schools in the universe. It's a very tough school, um, and uh, yeah, and, and we come here. I mean, that's a question everyone says, if, if, including me. I said, to Albert, well, the, the spirit side is such a wonderful place. Why would I ever choose to come here and live, uh, have an incarnation as a human? And he says, well, you're looking at, at it from a human perspective because you're sitting there in the middle of this planet Earth which is, it can be very unpleasant at times. And, and like you say, you can be cold, you can be hungry, you can be poor, uh, you can be subject to violence. None of that happens on the spirit side. But he says on the spirit side, you can look down at what's happening on earth and you can see what's going on, but that's just book learning. And he says you can't really uh, understand the totality of what happens on earth until you actually physically incarnate. Then you get a hands-on experience. And that's what really helps uh, you to uh, grow and evolve and to complete your knowledge with wisdom because you've actually been there. And so that's why we do it. Uh, difficult for us to understand, but, but it makes sense when you're on the spirit side. So if I read a book about Peru and Machu Picchu, I say, oh, that's really interesting. But it's not to actually go there that you can see how majestic it is. And then you begin to realize, how could any human being have dragged these huge things up here and built a magnificent, you know, built a magnificent, you know, site up there? You know, so yeah, you're right. His experience is the best teacher, I guess. Am I correct? And then yeah, uh, your guide was teaching you. Your guide was teaching you for a reason, so you can teach us. Well, I'm certainly trying my best, and I hope hopefully I can spread his wisdom to everyone through my books, and that's my mission, and I'm quite happy to be his messenger. He's got many messengers. I'm just one of them, um, and, and you know, and, and I like to work alongside people like you and Sherelle who are spreading message from the, from the spirit realm in your own way through your, uh, your readings and through your radio show, and we're all sort of Thank trying you. to do our part, and, and I think it's just wonderful. It, it is, and if you look at it this way, because you just made a good point, if you had a jigsaw puzzle, if you're missing many pieces, you just don't get it. You need all the pieces. <laughs> so you're a piece, I'm a piece, Sherelle's a piece. We all, in combination, show the bigger picture. That's what you're trying to say, right? Exactly, yes. And we have to do our part, and uh, and I'm really ha very happy to be part of this, this team of messengers throughout the world who's spreading the message from spirit, and I, I think it's wonderful. Well, it's wonderful to have you on again. We're going to have to do some more things with you in the future and since we have less than a minute left is there anything you'd like to announce or say 
Um, no, other than uh, if anybody wants to hear me in person to give a presentation, I'm going to be uh, speaking at the uh, Ozark Mountain Transformation Conference uh, in uh, August 3 to 5 in in, uh, in Eureka Springs, Arkansas, and, and that's the conference that, that's put on every year by my publisher, so I'll be there this year. Um, and uh, if they want to hear, um, you know, all the radio shows are already done and all the future shows, I post them all on my YouTube page, which you can get to by my website. And this, this by the way, uh, David, is show 136 for me. Wow. That's lucky That's amazing. Two. That's quite a record, yeah. We're going to have to up that number next time. <laughs> I'd, all right. I'd be delighted to come back again, so David. Yeah. yeah, yeah, thank it's you for having me. It's pleasure. I, I, well, yeah, because we didn't have to be on the show. We need to talk about more, so we'll see you again soon in the future. And folks, go to garnetshawhauser dot com. I'm gonna spell it: G A R N E T S C H U L H A U S E R dot com. And there he has links to his books and his YouTube channel, all kinds of information, including previous television. Uh, YouTube shows, radio shows, everything. Anyway, thank you very much for being here, Garnet, and God bless you, and we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you. Thank you, David and Sherelle. Have a great day. Thank you. Thank you, and thank you, everybody, for listening to Beyond the Gate Radio, and keep watching our channel for the next show. We have some more exciting guests coming up. So from Sherelle and I, good night. And see you next time.